What's going on, everybody? This is your favorite host, Jerome Moore, of your favorite podcast, Black Americans Making the Mark, Stories Abroad. And before we get started with this special series of Black Return Peace Corps volunteers, I want to make a quick note that the opinions and statements shared on this series are my own and or the guests and does not directly represent the views or opinions of the Peace Corps agency or other Black Return Peace Corps volunteers that are not featured on this series. But we encourage everybody to check out the website, www.peacecorps.gov, to find out more about about Peace Corps in general. Other than that, we hope you enjoy every episode of part of this series. Thank you for your time and support. And as always, stay dangerous. Talk to y'all soon. There are many stories of Black Americans abroad, and I'd like to share them with you. Welcome to Black Americans. 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 Black Americans making their mark. Stories abroad. What's going on, everybody? This is your favorite host, Jerome Moore, on your favorite podcast, Black Americans Making the Mark Stories Abroad. And we have another amazing episode. And all of our episodes are amazing, right? But this one really hits home for me. And this is another episode, of course, of our uh, Black Return Peace Corps volunteers. And as many of you know, you know, I served in Paraguay in South America. And uh, I guess here today also served. He's my elder, though. He's my Peace Corps OG. And uh, he showed me Paraguay in another in a different light that I've never seen him before when I first arrived. Uh, my humble beginnings as a as a young pup <laughs> in the in those Paraguayan Asuncion streets. Uh, I, I have the pleasure of welcoming my big Peace Corps dog, my big homie Rob Watson. Uh, Rob is you know director of student programs uh, at Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics. Uh, he's an international man himself. Uh, he's been doing bigger things. He's been doing big things before I thought about doing big things. When I landed in, when I landed in Paraguay, he was already talking about doing big things. And as a uh, black Peace Corps volunteer, the only thing people was telling me, man, you got to connect with Rob. You got to connect with Rob. And so when I connected with him, it was, it was, it was, it was lit. <laughs> That's all I can say. It was lit. Uh, so what's going on, Rob, man? How you been? Good, Jerome. Thanks for having me. It's good to catch up with you, and uh, I'm excited to to chat today. Yeah, man. Uh, and let's get right into it, man. Uh, how and and I know we talked. We we had we had some good moments, and we talked um, back in Asuncion, man. But uh, share share a little bit of information about your background, man. Where you're from in the United States? Sure. I grew up in. Uh, I was born and raised in Poughkeepsie, New York. It's a small city um, in upstate New York, about an hour and a half north of New York City. Um, grew up in a predominantly black and Latinx school system. My mother immigrated to the U.S. from the Dominican Republic, and my uh, dad's side of the family is African American with origins back down south, um, and eventually made their way up to Poughkeepsie, some of them. So um, that's where I grew up, and uh, grew up in the government-subsidized housing with my mom and my stepfather. Uh, had seven younger siblings. Also, my dad was an educator, so I grew up between kind of several houses um, in, in the city of Poughkeepsie, but I think my origin story around service really starts with my parents. Um, they were all doing service work in different ways. My mom in the faith-based community, my, my stepfather was a corrections officer and did a lot. He was a pop winner, football coach, was always doing community work. And my dad um, went from being a community organizer, a principal, he's a former superintendent of schools. He does so, he's done work in group homes. So I kind of had it in my, <laughs> it was in my detail <laughs> from the start and I kind of couldn't escape right. it. And so Peace Corps was kind of the chance to take my conception of justice service 
education, anti-poverty, and civic engagement to the international context, and it really changed my life. Man, you was destined. <laughs> you you was destined, man. Growing up, man, in um in governmental housing, man. What were some of the barriers, man, you made a face, man? Because, you know, growing up in that type of environment, um, your 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 parents can only control so much. Um, and you know, the streets or your peers uh or just the surroundings could, you know, um distract you from 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 being, you know, the best the best person you are, even if your parents got a, you know, hand on your shoulder, just, you know, you get to a certain age where, you know, you kind of move in how you want to move, you know, as a teenager, especially in the, you growing up inner city and in those type of surroundings, man. So, were there any 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 barriers you might have had faced, man, just growing up and thought, "Oh, man, I I might not have, you know, I could have made some bad decisions." Sure. I think, well, I think I always was, I was, I always say this, I was raised by a village of educators, parents, family, the social safety net for me from the start. So when I think about equity and justice, I always think about what safety net that I have that allowed me to be lucky enough to, to, to get to where I am today. So I think in terms of barriers, you know, the usual things that, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where um, there's a lot of poverty. Um, right. you know, now I know I've, I, even in some of my work I do now back in my hometown, I've been able to use data and take a look, you know, the, the median income of the zip code, the neighborhood where I grew up in the city of Poughkeepsie as an adult, you know, they're slated to make over a little over 27,000 a year. That's the median income of, wow. of people who lived in my neighborhood that were born there and then grew up. So I, I, things that I knew anecdotally now as an adult, I'm starting to see even from a statistical point of view. So of course, economic insecurity, and even in my own household, my mom and my stepdad, you know, a lot of right. you know, economic challenges, you know what it's like to see food stamps, know what it's right. like, you know, the struggle to pay the bills, know what it's like for people from the from the nearby church community to, 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 to support us when we were on difficult times. And so I've seen a lot of different ups and downs from an economic point of view in my family. I think I also went to a Poughkeepsie City School District, which um, is a school district I have a lot of passion, a lot of love for. Um different family members have worked there, including my dad. Um, but it was also a struggle. It's a struggling school system. It's, it's, it's had better days than it has now, but, um, right now it's one of the lowest performing school districts in the state of New York. Um, our high school's 54% graduation rate. Um, 73% of our students are economically disadvantaged. So we have some real challenges around that. And we know, um, that socioeconomic status in the United States remains the leading determinant of educational attainment. So from the averages, from what we know to be (laughs) true about injustice and inequity in the United States, I think Poughkeepsie and my upbringing was aligned with that. But I'd also say, as I experienced that, I had a lot of of exposure, primarily through family members and, and extended family, that let me think that my destiny and my future was tied to to Poughkeepsie's and that if I were to be successful, I wanted to be supportive of my hometown or any neighborhood or community I lived in. So it was definitely a tale of two cities. Right. Um, but I think, you know, equity is something that is, is a defining part of how I think about the world. Um, there's all kinds of various friends who, you know, opted for gangs, friends who were murdered, friends who dropped out of college, you know, right. and even family members who have been incarcerated. So I've seen it. I've seen kind of the different range of things. And I think um, it's definitely informed why I do the work that I do. It informed why I decided to choose to do Peace Corps. Um, and it's something that I think about every day. 
And, and, and I know we talked about this a little bit because we got similar upbringings when it comes to that matter about the surroundings and, you know, could have easily been caught up in any of those things um, like some of our peers and friends, you know, just was caught up in. How did you find out about Peace Corps, man? Because I had I had no... <laughs> I had I had no idea and nobody around me had no idea. And if it wasn't for Google, as I always say, is I, I don't know if I would have came across it because it was I didn't it wasn't no recruit. Like it just wasn't, I just, I just that presence just wasn't in my community or any or in any of my immediate family or, or colleagues or peers that I was around, just that just wasn't, you know, at the top of their mind or they wasn't aware of it. So man, I'm interested in learning that about you. How did you come across Peace Corps? It's funny, man. Well, all the great stories go back to romance in the history of the world. Right? So, so there's a couple of touch points, but one of the strongest ones was um, someone who I went to college with. I was a senior at, at Harvard and um, I had a friend of mine who she'll remain nameless for the sake of the day, but uh, she knows who she is and I appreciate her. Um, she, a friend of mine was actually um, applying to the Peace Corps, considering it, and she brought it to my attention. I'd obviously heard of it before in pop culture, but never really, it always seemed like a very abstract thing. That was only for like hippies or people from right. back in the day or like, right. you know, so it was something that I'd heard of, but I'd never really seriously honed in on what it was. It seemed very mysterious um, kind of, you know, thing that was trying to do service in the world. So that was a little bit, but it was definitely, it was a friend of mine who we were seniors and we were talking about wanting to go the international route, do kind of international development for a few years after we had both had some meaningful experiences abroad in college. That was the first time I had ever lived outside the United States. Mm -hmm. And that really put me on to thinking about the issues I cared about from an international perspective. So it started there and I'm grateful to her for having those conversations. And then I ended up, you know, there's a Peace Corps recruiter that would come to the Institute of Politics where I work at now and got to hear from them and a few other touch points my senior year. But it really started with a friend of mine who was interested in it herself and she ended up going to serve in Uganda. So it was luck. You stumble into it, which goes right. to another issue around equity and, and opportunity, which is it shouldn't be the case that we're just lucky enough to learn about these things. We should all have the same opportunity to know that they exist and that we can be a part of it. Man, um, you're definitely right about that. And I'm interested, man, because um, we we all don't have the privilege to go to, you know, Harvard like you, you know, uh, big dog school. But uh, once you once you learn to grow up, man, you understand the benefits of going to an Ivy League school. And, you know, here in Nashville, you know, we have Vanderbilt, which is, you know, like the Harvard of the South. Um, but it was kind of like one of them things like mm, that's for white people, you know, and, you know, growing up, you know, down the street, you know, we we have affluent HBCUs with Tennessee State, Fisk, Meharry, American Baptist. And then like it's it's Vanderbilt. Right. So. Um, as as a black person growing up in Nashville, you're like, oh, okay, HBCUs, and I still didn't go to HBCU. <laughs> still, still went to uh, Middle Tennessee State University. But I bring that up to say, coming from the environment that you grew up in, man, and going to Harvard, like, what, like, how did like talking about exposure? You know, what things did you learn? Um, and just about the world and the people that you met, they're like, oh wow, like I didn't even know, like this type of living and things existed coming from your background and maybe some of the peers that you grew up around. Yeah. Well, I definitely have to say, start by saying I was very lucky because my father and also my mom, my stepdad too, but my father in particular had a real vision for me and my younger sister, uh, Samantha, who um, we share the same father uh, where 
he from very young was taking us to visit college campuses. And mm. I think that's one of the great gifts of a, an excellent parent or mentor or someone you have in your life. Right. Is so me and my sister, brother Joe, we, we didn't have anything but to think we were going to college. <laughs> now that I with my partner, we right. have a little daughter on the way next month. You know, oh, congratulations. Man. It was, you know, that's gonna be the same thing. Our daughter will be right. born at a university where we live. So I think right. my, my so so even in a, in places where my surroundings had certain averages or norms. I never thought anything but I was going to go to school that day. I think I was going to go to Harvard or no school. You know, my dad did take us on visits to all kinds of schools in the Northeast. And when we went down South to visit family, so we went to, we've been to HBCUs and private PWI universities, public universities. So I definitely had that exposure. I think getting here, you know, you, I had a hesitance to apply when I was a senior in high school and it was really my dad who pushed me to apply. I didn't want to go to Harvard at all. I had other, <laughs> you know, my top school was Chapel Hill, um, North Carolina for a, a lot of different reasons. I love the sports. I was a huge fan. Right. And I love, I love the culture. I, mm-hmm. the balance between academics and student life and athletics. Right. And at the time I was football and I was getting recruited for football for schools. And so, um, I, I kind of applied to Harvard as a on a limb as a favor to the old man to like <laughs> you know people think this is crazy when I tell them I did not want to go to Harvard and like I just applied as a whim so he, you know he he pushed me he's like just apply early do me a favor so I applied early action and I was already I already had a whole packet of other schools that I was looking at to, that I was applying to that I was actually interested in I was going to apply to like in early January and then I got in right. in like December. And, you know, it became this huge deal in my family and my community. We had right. kids at high school go Ivy, but disproportionately not minority students. I mean, and our school system is predominantly black and Latinx, but in the advanced classes that I was in, there right. are minority students, sadly. And it's a big kind of problem we had. Right. Um, and so it was a big deal. And, you know, at the time, I still wasn't convinced, but um, I, would, I, I thought of it like, well, I know I'm going to get a lot of opportunities I thought too, it was just going to be all white and kind of not this kind right. of place that was a, a key to how I grew up in the kind of diverse community I grew up in. Um, I ended up going on a, a visit there and during pre-flash weekend and met a bunch of kids from all over the country. And um, they, they let you stay with a current student. So I stayed with this guy, Marcus Miller. He was a brother from New Jersey, um, played saxophone like I did at the time. He's much better than me. He still does play the sax, but he was somebody who was a really cool guy with a like similar background and you know much like how i i think i became a host in the peace corps and you were talking about yeah for sure i I took very seriously as a volunteer hosting and connecting with the volunteers particularly those of color who were coming in and trying to figure it out that was somebody who showed me that i could belong at a place like harvard um and he introduced me to a bunch of current students and i got connected with the black men's forum the black students association the latin and x groups and that really made me feel like, oh, wow, this could be exciting. And it's not just doing this to achieve some end, but that Harvard could right. be an incredible place. And then when I got there, like many people in college, I had incredible roommates um, that became lifelong friends. That and, and, you know, Harvard was a place that opened a lot of doors. It gave me a lot of exposure. It gave me opportunities to go abroad. Right. Fund it when my family couldn't have afforded to, to do it. So, right. um, it's one of those things where, like any institution, we have our challenges. We are not... Right. We're working to get better. Um, but for me, um, it was a game changer. And um, but that being said, you know, I, I got a lot of love for, you know, obviously HBCUs, a lot of families that come out of there. It's been the, the right. leading engine of black upward mobility in the United States for hundreds of years. Right. And way that women's colleges have been. So, you know, I, right. I love Harvard, but also I do a lot of work with schools across the country, even right. from community colleges to right. PWIs and HBCUs and everyone in between. 
Man, that's awesome to hear, man. It's awesome to hear too that, man, that now that you're a staff at Harvard, man, you can you can connect Harvard to to different roots of things that, you know, maybe uh they wouldn't they wouldn't have thought about if they didn't have a particular person from a particular background um in, in those type of positions like you are now, man. So shouts out to you on that. Um, shout out to Harvard too, man. You know, I didn't apply, but you know, I could have went to Harvard possibly. Oh, true, <laughs> I could have went to Harvard. You know, <laughs> hey man, I was traumatized as a youth, man. They, they, oh, true, they, man. they <laughs> oh, it's too late. <laughs> I'm done. I'm, I'm just, I'm not. They gonna have to pay. I look, Rob. I'm at, at this point now, man. I'm aiming for them honorary degrees, man. I'm just, let me just do another. Let me, let me just do enough community work and just give me a a, a Harvard degree, man. Let's let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, um, before we get into your Peace Corps experience, man, I, I have to touch on this and I want to see how this plays into just your international um, kind of uh, uh, journey. Your mom being an immigrant from the Dominican Republic, man, how did that influence your upbringing and just, you know, living abroad in 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 the um South America and in, 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 I know Paraguay I think you Brazil as well did some you lived there so how how did that man um affect you know just your your international journey and but just also your upbringing man and, and, and to lead to you doing peace corps and other things yeah it's really interesting so my mom came here as a teenager to New York City um my my grandparents live in Washington Heights. My grandmother goes back and forth a bit to the Dominican Republic. I got Dominican family members that live in Harlem and Brooklyn and other parts of New York City. Um, so for me, I, you know, my, my, my Dominican side was also always kind of this interesting part of my identity because in my household, while I knew a lot of words and studied in squad, I didn't grow up speaking Spanish as a first language. Um, and I had to learn Spanish the hard way. It's like a running, you know, conversation. I was at my mom. I said, like, you know, so I had to like learn Spanish in school all the way up to taking AP Spanish to living abroad in college to Peace Corps. So um, I, I think on a starting level, my grandmother and grandfather um, speak, don't speak English fluently. Like they understand a lot, but they, at least in my childhood, there was always the conversations were in Spanish and they had you know, fairly broken English, but they understand, you know, understand a lot to get right. by. So that always made me interested in understanding my, my, that part of my culture. I remember writing book reports on it in middle school mm-hmm. and wanting to learn Spanish as a, as a way to s- discover that aspect of my identity. I think even as a kid um, in my area, there were a lot of Latinos, but a lot of like Mexicans, Puerto Rican kids, but of a certain complexion. And at right. that point in my life, I didn't realize the whole Afro-Latin, Afro-Latinx um, community and history. Right. I didn't realize more African slaves went to Latin America than the United States. You know, right. I didn't have that kind of repertoire or exposure in my formal education. So I many times had to carry that as like this part of my identity that people would be like surprised, even to this day, you know, my last name's Watson. People don't think I'm, you know, they're like, and, and many times I have to be like, well, what does a Latino or Latina person look like? Diverse right. as anywhere in the world. Right. Um, so that was something that really triggered my interest, I think, in Latin America and international was trying to connect with that part of my heritage. And I always had that, like, you know, itch to scratch. And um, ultimately, it definitely was a, a motivation for, for wanting to do this work. Man, so... Going into, so I know everybody's, you know, processing the Peace Corps is a little different. I mean, you being my elder, I'm pretty sure your application process and going about it was a little different than mine, man. So tell me about applying and then, you know, 
um, did you ever have you ever heard of Paraguay before you went? Things like that, man. Because I had no idea that it was even a country um, when when I got nominated for Paraguay, man. But how about yourself? Yeah, I'm gonna sound like an old head. Like back in my day, <laughs> when you couldn't apply to the region, you know, it was like where yeah, the mail in application. You could, yeah, yeah, it was like you applied and you could list a couple regional preferences in the world, like Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America. So I had right. those, I think, were my top two preferences. And then you know you you get an invitation if you get through um, to a country. And so it's actually funny. Um, the application at the time, I remember it took a while and you had, you knew you applying, it was going to take six months to a year to hear back. So I applied my senior year. Um, at that point, I had already lived the summer studying in Spain and then done another summer living in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And at that time I was also applying for postgraduate fellowships through the university. And I got one my senior year to go to Brazil, to Rio, to do some work in the favelas there, some, some of the, uh, slums there. And so, um, I actually was in Brazil living in Rio when I got an invitation that I had to pick up, I remember, and I got it to join Peace Corps Paraguay. And it was like a booklet. It's like, I have it somewhere in the archive somewhere. <laughs> it was like a booklet and a Paraguay invitation. And I was like, I didn't know anything about it's, Paraguay. Like, and, so, and so they mailed, so they mailed you the booklet. They were still mailing yep, the booklets yep. then. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this wasn't okay. like you know, 1995. <laughs> this was 2009, man. But but yeah, think about it though. When I had to, when I applied, it was like it had to be 2013, 14 ish, because we got there early 2015. And so, and I got an email, but you know, doing what everybody does, going on YouTube, how you gonna receive your information? And I'm and I thought that I was gonna get a booklet in the mail too, but they just sent me an email, and you gotta accept it. You ha- I had to accept the email like within like seven days, and then once you accept it, they sent you all the stuff that y'all got in the book. They sent it in digital form. So, so yeah, man. They, I guess they change processes quickly. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was something else. And, and at the time, like a lot of um, I didn't know much about Paris. I, I knew it was in South. I knew it was near, like right, you know, right the next low, to Brazil. Yeah. But I hadn't really learned that much about it. And it's actually funny because I'd been, I was in Brazil. I'd been in Argentina. I'd been to Uruguay right now. So I'd been in that part of South America, um, but didn't know much about it. Just read the booklet like crazy and then went on YouTube. And then I remember one of my uh, high school friends and one of my sister's classmates' family was from Paraguay. And so I actually was like, started asking her a bunch of questions. Like, what does she know about Paraguay? So, but yeah, it was definitely like I, I had a very limited knowledge of the country. Man, Ben Ben had traveled all over the world. Well, you know, the Argentina, uh, living in Spain, Brazil. You know, having like some some really great traveling experiences. Man, uh, what was your first kind of initial reactions landing in in Paraguay, man? And kind of what were some of the initial reactions of the Paraguayans to you? Yeah, so some of my friends in Rio, international and Brazilian friends, were were like, because you know I was doing community development work. They're not as full blown and with the kind of design and infrastructure like Peace Corps, but they were basically like, "You're gonna leave Rio, like one of the best like cities in terms of beauty and beach, but also a lot of real challenges in terms of poverty, etc." To go to Paraguay, there's like, you know, about so it's like you know people are joking around a lot, like, "Why would you go to Paraguay? Why would you stay in Rio?" And so. Um, it was definitely like a hard choice because I had to kind of end my fellowship a little bit early and I was just starting to like get really connected to the pulse of the city. You know, it's a big place to really get a sense for who's out there, what the orgs are doing. It takes a while. Um, so I think though, I just really 
you know, and Peace Corps seemed daunting at the time, that two years, three months, whew, that seemed like, wow, that's a lot of time. And, and now it looking in retrospect, it doesn't seem like that was time at all. But at the time when you know you're young and if you haven't <laughs> spent a long time living right. abroad, you know, before that seems like forever. So I remember being really like taken aback by that. And then also even some of the economic side of it, you know, feeling like I wanted did I want to take that financial hit, you know, and it's not the same to, you know, if you have a trust fund or you come from a well, a really well off background as if, you know, you could be taking that same degree you had from a university and using it to go make a great income. So that was another thing on the plate there. But anyway, getting to Paraguay, um, you know, it was, it's, it's a place where there's not a lot of people with my skin tone that look like me every day walking down the street, as you know, (laughs) right. Oh, you know, there's a lot, that one could experience there, like in a lot of places, you know, it's right. something that I had to get used to. I wasn't completely new to me because even in Argentina, right. while there's a little bit more because, uh, you know, Buenos Aires is a pretty cosmopolitan place. It wasn't like there were black people everywhere, but, right. you know, it's definitely an adjustment. And um, but I think, you know, Paraguayan people, I, I have nothing but love for all my Paraguayan friends and the people that I've worked with right. over the years. Like anything, there was a lot of curiosity depending on where you were. Um, people's point of reference was different. You could be the first, you know, African-American someone's ever met. You've only been seen in the movies. Um, Obviously, there's Brazilians that, you know, a lot of Paraguayans had reference to Brazil. I remember reading in the core brochure, them talking about um, racism in Paraguayans and the struggles because of the Triple Alliance War and a lot of people having a perspective on, like, the Brazilian slave that was fighting in the army to, like, you know, um, that left a bad, like historical legacy in, in, in a lot of people's memories. Um, but generally I found, you know, people to be warm and great and curious, man, that um, was in the brochure. I missed that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mine, it was, it talked about triple alliance war. Man, I, I, I missed that. It might've been in mine, but I definitely missed that, but they did, but they, but they, that was their first initial reaction though, thinking that, um, I was Afro-Brazilian. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I got that. I got Colombian. You know, Cuban. funny story is I uh, ended up the Peace Corps Paraguay. We had this volunteer magazine you might have called, called the Quat. And so for a while, I wrote a whole um, series called Ask a Black Dude based off of Chicago <laughs> show with funny kind of stories around what, what happened to black volunteers in Paraguay. You know, and, with, you know, all the black volunteers, we had all kinds of inside jokes. And, you know, it became one of those things that, you know, in all seriousness, isn't always easy like any volunteer it's tough being away from home culturally and being black brings different challenges not only because of being in paraguay but also within your cohort of volunteers and all of the um, realities as in in the united states but that being said i mean paraguay was great you know paraguay has its own afro history which a couple of my fellow volunteers from my program in urban youth development actually served in afro paraguayan communities and it was actually really cool because with a couple of them, I ended up bringing, they ended up bringing down leaders from their communities to do Afro-Paraguayan artistic interventions in my community in the south of Paraguay and Encarnacion. So it was actually really cool because we were having exchanges with Afro-Paraguayan communities and Paraguayan communities who weren't. And, and I, and sometimes us as volunteers were facilitating exchange around, you know, black realities in Paraguay to Paraguayans who weren't familiar with them. Man, that's, that's, I did that's that's amazing, man. I wish I think I should. I was in the wrong group, man. I was in the wrong group. <laughs> no, but no, it's crazy though, man. Um, me being places I shouldn't even have been. <laughs> I, I, 
habitual sight leaver. <laughs> I um I actually had an opportunity as well to meet Afro Paraguayans. You know what I'm saying? And so um some older um uh I can't remember the the dang I can't I can't remember the young lady's name. Um it was it was a it was a black it was a black um black volunteer female and then um Gamachu I think his name Gamachu uh man and they was both CED and man I was I was with them and they they ain't got me to, to to leave my site something I was I was doing something I probably shouldn't have been doing sorry Peace Corps but then but we went to this Afro Paraguayan community man and I was able to to meet some Afro Paraguayan men and women they had froze and everything and my Spanish was the novice horrible at the time but you know what I'm saying I was able to get enough to understand like pretty much you know they they was going through any in everything like that people of color black people go through um where then the 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 lower bottom end of the social economic system um in that country man it's always really interesting to hear man and and you can just see in their eyes how how it's like proud and excited to to see us and for them to be able to share their stories with us and just have the exchange and just like hey man we're, we're black people we, we you know we got to stick together and them seeing our hair and stuff like that and you know just that commonality that you know black folks have around the world and our features and things like that man so that's 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 just it's just paraguay i i have nothing bad to say about paraguay i have i have nothing about the paraguay and people uh it's a it's a it's amazing man um, but I think um your your, your G and other G's kind of messed it up for my G and, and and others, man. I think y'all was on some awesome a whole nother level where we didn't have certain privileges. <laughs> privileges were revoked by the time we came in, man. That wouldn't surprise me. Every 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 volunteer era, you know, messes it up for the next one. That's just how it goes. <laughs> man, man, so so you using youth and development, um we were, we, I was the education sector. Education sector. Within it, we had different, you know, folks who worked with um, in the school system. We were urban youth development. So we folk, we worked a lot with teenagers and up, you know, maybe even middle school and up. And we did everything from in school work um, to youth groups, to working with universities, to volunteer programs. So it was a, it was a really cool sector. And we were placed in a lot of at risk or, you know, now that, you know, opportunity youth communities, um, so a lot of our, most of our placements were in kind of the, the shantytown slums of urban areas. So I was in Encarnacion, the third largest city. Right. Yeah. He was in the big city. Y'all. They had me in Itorbe <laughs> and in rural, urban rural, got to learn Guarani and Spanish. He had to, he had to see, he trying to downplay it, talking about the slums. He had the good life. <laughs> it was about a beach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Talking about the heat, they had the good life in the Carnacion. They had they had the um, they had the carnival down there. Come on, man! They come. They <laughs> this is true, but it's an actually interesting conversation. And I've talked about a lot of volunteers because Incarnacion, much like Asuncion or Ciudad del Este or Villarica or these other cities, like right. there's definitely it's true. You have a lot more offerings of the cosmopolitan type, and particularly Incarnacion when I was there at the time because it was on the border of Argentina. It's right. experienced incredible urban transformation. But the poverty and marginalization are real. So I was actually placed in Itapaso, which was um, it's a it's a community, a neighborhood that is uh, I don't know, 15k outside of the of the of the center of Encarnacion. It's right when we're coming into the city. A lot of people were relocated there from um, the flooding that was from the hydroelectric dam of La Soledad down there. So um, it was actually interesting, you know, in Encarnacion. There's incredible wealth. 
like New York City, like San Francisco, but in the in the neighborhood in the community I was in, um, there was incredible poverty. We had some a small indigenous settlement. Um, we had you know many Paraguayans who were whose children were selling you know gum and, and and basic things in the streets, and a lot of youth children, child workers working illegally. So there was a lot of real disparities, and I think much like you know here and in other places there was the, the benefits and opportunities the nightlife even right. the, the, the comforts of the city but also a marginalization and its poverty that in some ways is more violent and aggressive than rural poverty man what were um maybe some of the challenges man you faced um in peace corps and um this is a two-part question what were some of the challenges you faced in peace corps and that can be you know you know, just as a volunteer in general, and it can be more specifically, probably, you know, maybe as a black volunteer uh, for our listeners who may be, you know, who may be black and, and listening to this and may be interested in volunteering, but being real, being really uh, realistic about um, the type of reality one may have because of you being black. And the second part is um, how do you feel um, Peace Corps uh, Paraguay specifically, you know, prepared you to handle some of the things that you made that you faced? Sure. So I guess I'll start. I'll think about it in terms of personal challenges, professional challenges, yeah. and how race intersects with it. So I think, uh, you know, the challenges of Peace Corps are many. For the, each person's different, but generally, right, like on a personal level, you're outside of your comfort zone. You're away from your family and friends. Some volunteers, I was not in much of a situation because I was more in the city, but a lot of volunteers are pretty isolated. You can be isolated. It's not the case. There's met, but you know, there's no one Peace Corps service that's the same. So it's it really right. depends. <laughs> but you know, those are some common things. So I think on a personal level, it was tough to be in a community and you know, poor with a lot of um, you know, disadvantage. And, and my community was unique because it wasn't like some of the other Paraguayan communities my friends served in, in my sector, other sectors, where there was like a real sense of like connection a place there was but my community kind of got created because of a lot of environmental and inequality issues it wasn't like a natural community where everyone was there from the start over you know a few hundred years or right. you know so there was a lot of challenges in terms of my site placement and figuring out how to navigate the local politics the political party system in Paraguay a lot of the like you know the spoil system and the approaches to things there was a lot to get used to and figure out how to navigate um, I personally thought those challenges ultimately though were good challenges. Like I learned a lot and it's informed how I think about my career to this day. It's tough to be placed into somewhere, have no money, right? Like Peace Corps doesn't give you a hundred thousand dollars and then you get to go do a project. You have to start from scratch with nothing but your presence and some goodwill and some local leaders who want to work with you. Really, really, really grassroots. Yeah, yeah. So it's real grassroots. And, you know, people have different views on should Peace Corps be that way or not. But that's what it was. And I, from my knowledge, continues to be in many ways. So it's a real challenge when you're trying to think about social change. You're not from a place. You, it takes a while to get to know how things work. Right. So that impacted like me personally, because it's like, well, what am I doing here? Should I even be here? Like a lot of those kind of existential questions. And I think professionally, you know, there was a real overlap there, too, because you're trying to you, you, you're young, you're ambitious, not all volunteers come, you know, I was a, a little bit out of college, but you know, not all volunteers at that age, you got people of all ages, but right. you're trying to figure out how to make your mark. Right. Um, and then I add race to it where it adds a level of curiosity. In some cases, racism itself um, and people 
thinking maybe a white volunteer with blue blonde hair and blue eyes is smarter naturally. I think, you know, I played to my strengths. I tried to, you know, share where, you know, what I've been able to do in my life. And I was lucky enough to have a good command of Spanish to start and some decent Guadani to start. So, you know, I was all about building relationships, but it was definitely, um, a growing experience. And it's, I think you have to have a growth mindset going into it. Each placement is different. So right. something does come down to luck, but I think generally I recommend Peace Corps to people with caveats right. about what type of person you are. And what right. I, what I personally think it, you know, a lot of my black friends in Paraguay, like, I think we generally had good experiences where there painful moments where things were hard, where people didn't understand you, where people said ignorant things. Sure. But show me where that doesn't happen in the United States. Show me where that doesn't happen in the world. Right. So I think, like, if you think about it in those terms and you're being dropped into a new place and they don't have any connection or, or knowledge of where you come from, I think it comes with the territory. So right. those challenges were, were real, but I also relished in them, to be quite honest. Man, how do, um, and uh, just a quick note, I'm talking to other um, uh, Return Peace Corps volunteers, man, we came to the assumption that pretty much most black folks in the United States are really prepared and already well equipped with the tools <laughs> to handle what you may face in Peace Corps just because of what many of us already experienced in our own communities growing up and some of the challenges and things like that. So we really perfectly made uh, to deal with Peace Corps just the exposure part of it and really connecting the dots like, oh, you know, these same things happen in my community that are happening here. Um you know, I, I can literally be treated worse racially in, in my own community than I may be here. And, and here is more of a just a they not exposed to me enough. They're not experienced to who I am outside of the multi uh, media masses or propaganda. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that point up, man. Um, how do you feel um, or your thoughts about, you know, how Peace Corps uh, itself as, a, as an agency um, helped you um, navigate? some of the barriers or even, you know, be informed about some of the, the challenges and barriers you may face um, just being a volunteer and more probably more specifically being a black volunteer. Yeah. I think at the time, you know, uh, honestly, I think Peace Corps could have done a better job. And I think like any institution, it's made a ton of strides, even from friends that I know that work at eight headquarters or in regional offices or abroad it, at the time, I, you know, I, it felt like to me, like a lot of the support I was getting was from other black volunteers or black volunteers who extended for a third year and working in the office. And they were kind of the people who were your support teams. My, my, my direct supervisor, she was in, in my sector. She was great. And obviously she's, she's Paraguayan and she, she had a, a real, I think, affinity for uh, thinking about diversity, both through a Paraguayan lens of it. And she'd worked with a lot of Americans. So she, she was great, but I think obviously it's, it, it, it's tough, you know, and then who's on your staff, you know, now there's a, a lot more pushes. What kind of staff? Do you have a staff that looks like your volunteer corps? You know, now there's a big push around diversity, equity, inclusion officers and, you know, right. doing kind of work across all programs and objectives. So I think at that time we were less sophisticated there in terms of a post. Um, and so a lot of support came from obviously one's own background and strengths. My peers were definitely my biggest source of strength. Um, and we had some folks. And, in, 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 you know, whether it be volunteer coordinators, some 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 mid-level staffers who are definitely supportive. Um, I think as an, as I, I'm not working in the Peace Corps, I have, I have had different touches and projects and collaborations over the years since I finished being a volunteer. I do think now, especially in recent times, I'm seeing the Peace Corps take a more of a um, 
deliberate role in thinking about issues of racial justice in the United States, the, the, the realities of volunteers of different races, but also uh, sexual orientations and everything in between and income levels. So I think this is a part of the work. Um, but this is the challenge of all institutions, right? right. I think how many places of work in the United States have figured this out? Right. So I think, you know, Peace Corps has to deal with it, just like many places. Um, it's not to give any organization a pass, but um, I think that's that's what I could say about it at the time for me. Yeah, man, that's I think that's that's that was, as well put, man. I think it's it's about growth and and really <clears throat> um, hopefully the series um, will not only give input to potential uh, prospective Peace Corps, Black Peace Corps volunteers, but also just um, um, uh, officials at the at the Peace Corps agency um, to really tap back in and talk to the Rod Watsons and others who went through the experiences and, and, and leveraged Peace Corps to do other and better things uh, because of it, but also just, just be realistic. Like, Hey, you know, my experience, you know, maybe it could have been a little different if I had more, more, more technical training on this side or more, just more understanding or staff understood more of, of just my, my racial identity, man, maybe how that may be perceived or not perceived um, in a particular country, man. So um, hopefully a lot of people are getting, you know, a lot of this thought provoking gems that you've been dropping on these things, just not the listeners, but also just again, like the Peace Corps official agencies um, and those who work in headquarters and staff. Um, because um, I think the the Paraguayan um, Peace Corps headquarters did a great job. Um, and I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any kind of just really uh, overt um, racial kind of situations. I might, and you get the staring, you get the, you know, just the curiosity, but you know, it wasn't like any attacks on me personally. Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't put myself at risk. I le- used my common sense and street smarts at the same time too. But also when there was an opportunity, you know, probably much like you, um, used, used the chance to, you know, um, communicating cross culture exchange, you know, about things they might've not known or, um, about a language that matter used and maybe didn't know it was offensive or, you know, maybe wasn't using it properly or whatever it may be the case, which can happen here in the United States as well. Um, but I know because that was my first abroad experience, the Peace Corps. And so it taught me a lot about my blackness, but also about being open minded to the lack of understanding of others, black uh, understanding blackness, uh, especially uh, being um, from the United States, because, again, they didn't correlate with me with being American. It correlated with me with being, you know, Afro-Brazilian or Cuban or Colombian, um, but never American, which was was which was interesting because I never thought this first time outside the country. And so it it really allowed me to open up my mind and uh, really think about who I am and my identity, what my skin color may mean to others outside of my home country. No, that's real. And I think, um, you know, the learning goes both ways. There's also a lot of ignorance that I had at that point in my life and continue to and you know, I, I learned a ton about Paraguay's ethnic and cultural histories. And I, right. there was a lot of things that I would have been ignorant. I was ignorant about and learned in the, and, and vice versa, I think. But generally, that's that's OK. Like, it's OK for us to not know something about each other, to make mistakes, I think. But having a space where we can learn, I think, was a beautiful thing. And I think one other thing I want to say, too, is just in terms of my service and the concrete things I got to do was incredible. You know, I got to work with young people from across the country. I got to work with college presidents in my in, in, in this in my city where I worked in. I got to do national projects, local projects, everything in between. I loved Paraguay so much after I ended up extending a third year in Encarnacion and then 
After that, I stayed another four and a half years mm -hmm. after. Um, and with a bunch of Paraguayans who I, I worked with in my early stages of my community, one thing led to another. We started a community volunteer programs. From that, we started the citywide volunteer networks with other friends and volunteers in other parts of the country. And ultimately went on to, I was a part of the founding team of Paraguay's first national youth service program in the government. And so we were able to create kind of the Paraguayan version of AmeriCorps. And then we ended up having Paraguayans serving in the same communities as Peace Corps volunteers doing full-time service. And that still exists to this day. And then I was able to connect with other friends and um, one of my friends, Mariana, we co-founded Teach for Paraguay. And so now we have like a, it's a part of the Teach for All network that was started by Teach for America and Teach First. And they're doing a lot of work around the next generation of educational leaders. So um, my Peace Corps really was a, 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 a starting point for me in terms of just doing a lot of great things at Paraguay. I'm still doing work to this day with Paraguay, actually, even living in the U.S. And so um, I'm grateful for what it what it did for me. Man, I don't know if, if, if the listeners are, I don't know if y'all caught all that, but he just did a quick flex. <laughs> this is this is what the going Super Saiyan looks like after your Peace Corps volunteer uh, service, because um, we all have an opportunity or, you know, you, 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 you will have the opportunity, depending on how you're thinking behind your service goal, to do amazing things in your host country uh, and build relationships. I think that's one of the, the key phrases you, you used throughout this conversation was build relationships. And I would encourage any Peace Corps uh, volunteer uh, perspective or current Peace Corps volunteer, or I guess there's no really current Peace Corps volunteers right now, but those who, you know, who may be returning back to site, like really focus on building those relationships, just not with those um, in your host country, but your, 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 your group peers, your cohort peers. Um, and staff and others that you just may meet because it can go a long way. Um, Rob has done amazing things. And I met Rob when he was in that, that four year stretch um, of, of doing all type of stuff <laughs> um, in, uh, in Paraguay. And, and that's why he's the man. That's why he was the, 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 the referred to, uh, to me anyway, as you need to talk to Rob, you need to go holler at Rob because he was, he was like literally all the things he was doing so much. And it, and it was just, it was just amazing uh, to me to see another person that looked like me one do it, but also like take it to a whole another level. And Rob might not have known, but it was a real inspiration to me that made me really get confidence. Like, Oh, I, I can, I can do this then. He come from a similar background. He's doing all this. Well, you know, I, I can I can make it happen. And so, um, and I really appreciate you, man, for setting an example and being the mentor that you were to me and and, and many others, man, and being very hospitable. Uh, and 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 again, showing me a uh, uh, um, a light of Paraguay. <laughs> I probably would have never, probably shouldn't have seen so so quickly, but <laughs> but but I might have never got an opportunity to, to see, man. And 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 I appreciate that. And if you know, and hopefully there are many other Rod Watsons in all Peace Corps uh, host countries, man, because it's definitely appreciated and it's definitely needed um, for people like myself who are, who are coming in and just needing um, a great example. But somebody just sit down and talk to and just like, hey, man, you can do it. You can, you know, if you need something, let me know. So, man, I appreciate you for that. And, and, to, and to set up into like the, the last kind of segment, man, doing all of those things, man, can you talk about how like, Peace Corps led you to do those things, but even to what you're doing now, man, and just the skills that you learned, the relationships you build, man, and really how it played a part on your professional life right now. Yeah, I mean, I and in a lot of conversations with coworkers and friends when we're talking about challenging times or thinking about how to, you know, make change when, you know, things are difficult. Um Peace Corps really gave me a creativity to think through hard problems with 
very few like monetary resources and seemingly a lot of constraints. Um, so for me now, when I find myself in kind of jams, I'm like, man, it was a lot tougher in Peace Corps when we didn't have one cent to our name and we had to kind of all we had was each other. And, you know, the belief in you being critical connectors and working with community leaders to get things done. So um, it's I think from a problem solving point of view, from a dealing with hardship point of view, it gives you this confidence that I think stays with you around, like, no matter what comes next, you know, I can, there was a time when it was harder than this. And I think that that's something I take a lot of solace in. I think Peace Corps also revealed to me one of my great passions in life that I always was thinking about, um, but it really has re- revealed itself to me. And that's, um, there's somebody who, I can't remember who author that wrote this, talks about how to create moments of obligation for people where these are these kind of experiences that put you on a path towards justice. You know, you have a starting point and through that exposure, you can't ever look back. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you hear about like in sports, Muhammad Ali um, getting picked on and, or no, losing his, losing his bike. Somebody stole his bike. He walks into a boxing gym and somebody sees him as like, and he becomes a boxer <laughs> um, or somebody who had saw some active injustice. And then they, they were never the same and they became a great civil rights leader. So, through my service, working with other Paraguayans, going on to create a national service program and being a volunteer myself, I became fascinated by how do you produce justice oriented citizens at scale? How do you create a critical mass of citizens that care and that use their platform, whatever job they have, whatever community they live in to, as one of my professors here at Harvard says, to be morally ambitious. Mm -hmm. So um, Peace Corps helped me unpack a lot of my things I was thinking about in terms of passions. And now I have a lot more clarity um, about what I care about. Now I'm at the Institute of Politics, which is actually, interestingly enough, it's a it's a center at Harvard Kennedy School that was founded by the Kennedy family, President Kennedy, Sarge Shriver, some of the founders of the Peace Corps, right? right. So um, it's a it's a it's in center at the, at the university whose mission is to inspire students in the career in, in politics and public service. So, you know, now being back in the States, I'm doing a lot of the same work around how to inspire the next generation of young people to go into public life, whether it's nonprofits, right. international development, government, et cetera. Right. It's, it's what my life's work is. In my hometown of Poughkeepsie, New York, um, I'm working with a couple of friends and we're founding a program called Lead for Poughkeepsie, which is going to be a two-year fellowship program for recent college grads to go back to our hometown of Poughkeepsie, New York to serve. And we're partnering with a national organization called Lead for America, a lot of great friends there. And we're looking at partnerships with programs like AmeriCorps. Um, so this doesn't stop for me. It's just, it evolves and it grows and Peace Corps gave me a shot and I just want everybody else a shot. And I think looking at what happened in our country this week, looking at, looking at the desecration of the Capitol, looking at the challenges of our civic life, what was powerful about Peace Corps too. And a lot of people in the national service space talk about it is the different volunteers you serve with bringing people together from different walks of life. I had, I never knew anyone from Montana, from Idaho, from right. West Virginia, you know, I never knew anybody from these places. They probably never know a lot of people from places like I was from. It's not a panacea, but I do have a, a real belief that national service, um, bringing people together on with common purpose can really be a game changer for how we think about ourselves and our communities and how we come to, together in this time where, you know, we got a lot of craziness going on. So um, I think Peace Corps gave me a lot of help. It helped give me a lot of clarity on that. And to this day, you know, I'm still seeing the ripples effect of my service. I mean, just to give you another anecdote, a few years ago, um, I worked with some Paraguayan youth 
from that I worked with as a volunteer, helped them, worked with them to get in the university in the United States. And then we organized, a few of us, the first Paraguay conference at Harvard University a few years ago. Wow. And Paraguayans from across the country. Wow. We're studying in the United States, some many of which who had low-income backgrounds who were gotten to the U.S. to a program to the embassy where friends and former Peace Corps volunteers were their mentors, and they came to Harvard. Now, those kids are mentoring other Paraguayans to study abroad, not just in the U.S., but across the world. And we brought former ministers. We brought youth leaders. And now there's people that I worked with that were teenagers that are now, now, that are now you know, taking over the leadership positions in Paraguay and globally. So the, wow. the multiplier of all of this is real. Wow, man. I hope I hope the listeners really, really caught all of those things, man. And like you, if it, I know for sure if it wasn't for Peace Corps, man, give me a chance and that exposure. There's no way I'd be doing what I'm doing now. It's, it's, it's no way. I, I always knew like kind of kind of um, what I wanted to do. But Peace Corps really helped me get clear about how to really make my specific mark. And, and and take that and build a really core foundation and, and build relationships and, and go forward and still had to figure it out a little bit right but it, but it really helped me like okay this is what I want to do now let let me figure out how can I specialize it to and put my own little flavor onto it but it was definitely because of Peace Corps man and 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 and, and being the first person um in my media family and definitely probably sure in my media community where I grew up like to 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 really live abroad and be immersed in and and take on and take on Peace Corps and and be able to live other places abroad and immerse myself in other places, man. And all that is definitely due to Peace Corps, man. But um the 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 one of the issues that you know hopefully this this conversation and the work that you continue to do and the work that I continue to do um to is, is resolve that a lot of times, man, a lot of those things that you name, many people, especially black men specifically growing up in our communities, don't have anybody around them to to help them navigate or process what something like Peace Corps can do for them going forward um, in their life, right? Um, because it's all about exposure to help you figuring it out. And a lot of times in our situations back in the United States, we don't have the time to really process figuring out things or even navigate how to figure something out. We're just reacting, we're just reacting to what's around us and kind of the the ultimatums that, you know, the choices that may seem like ultimatums that are presented to us in our life, man. So um, hopefully, you know, this conversation can help uh, other people look at Peace Corps, as, you know, in, in many different ways and how it can be just an asset to your overall well-being in life and, and be lifelong lasting through your, especially through your story, you know, and, and how it's carried you to do other things and come back full circle in many ways, man. And uh, and that's why I had to have you on here, man. That's why I had to to get the big Rob OG on this thing, man, because I, I knew just from my talks, man, on just you, your your background, but the things you did in country, and then the things that you are doing now, man. Um, and just and just to close, man, I want to give you an t- opportunity to, if there's any any programs, any projects that people could contribute to through a, a fundraiser or a check out, or if you're doing anything at Harvard that people should tap into, man. This is man. I want to give you a chance to you know plug plug all this stuff here, man, and. Uh, you know, open yourself up to the listeners to be, to be, to be contacted. Yeah, no, thanks Jerome for having me. And I think the first thing I want to say is thank you to you. I've been following all the work you're doing and I can't tell you how inspirational and crucial and necessary the work you're doing is. It's just, you know, when we were coming up, right, we didn't have, you know, podcasts, stories, 
anything that was like, you could go do the Peace Corps, you could go make your mark abroad, you could go right. speak another language, you right. know, and now for me, it's the most normal thing to be thinking about learning, right. knowing how to speak other languages, right. being able to work on projects in other countries. And that just seemed like the craziest thing <laughs> in the world when, they, you know, for all the blessings of my childhood, it, I, that seemed like the furthest thing in the world. And now that's normal, just like, you know, it's normal to go, you know, to the court down the street, you know, so it, right. I, I really, I really am hopeful and grateful for the what this platform that you're building because I think it, through that exposure, it's something I, my dad always talking about. Exposure is just it's it's foundational. It's that first step to even knowing something's possible, and then eventually it becomes normal. So right. I'm, I'm I'm grateful for that. In terms of you know things of support, I got to plug my hometown, Poughkeepsie, New York, um, the Poughkeepsie Children's Cabinet, which I'm a co-founder of with several friends, and we're also working with the mayor, the superintendent of schools. We're doing a lot of work around cradle to career youth development. So you can check out pkchildrenscabinet.com. You can also Google the Poughkeepsie Children's Cabinet. Um, and we're, we're fundraising for some work we're doing in our community. Um, and definitely check out our work at the Institute of Politics. We have a lot going on in the virtual space since like many college campuses were virtual this semester. So we bring a lot of great practitioners um, each week through our, you know, you can follow us on, on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And we have a lot of opportunities for people from across the globe to connect on our on our work with inspirational public service leaders. So grateful, grateful for the time with you, brother. Man, I appreciate it, man. And I'll make sure I'm going to get all those links from Rob and, you know, I'll make sure I'll put them in the description of the podcast. But Rob, man, so people don't have to remember all that. You don't have to write it down. You can just click, make it easy for you. Um, but Rob, man, I, I really appreciate this, brother, man. It was good catching up with you. Good, you know, being able to just to, you know, reminisce on some Paraguayan times, but also, man, I, I, I appreciate you dropping some gems and some this really key perspectives, man, and outlooks on, on you know, on being black and just kind of, man, what Peace Corps can do for you going forward, man. And and um, hopefully the listeners really, you know, take this and I hope they reach out to you, man. I really do, man. I, I, I This is just a, a snippet of what Rob could really, we can go through two, three, four hours, man, you know, really. Uh, so I hope, you know, I encourage everybody to, to really uh, tap into what Rob is doing um, internationally and, you know, um, in his home city in New York. So, Rob, man, I appreciate you, man. Again, to all my listeners, appreciate y'all. Thank you for the support. Uh, keep making your mark on the world. And, of course, stay dangerous. All right? Talk to y'all soon. Holla. <laughs>